Welcome back to the Outlooks Podcast. I am your host, the doctor to the car, Mr. Everett J. himself. And this week, I am taking a look at the slow demise of the aftermarket industry. Autoworks.net Autopod, streaming day or night, coming right at you, right here, right now. So welcome back to the Autolux.net podcast. I am your host, the doctor to the car, Mr. Everett J. himself. And keep checking out our iTunes, Podbeam, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and over at www.autolux.net for all the updates and all of the ratings and all of your corporate website requirements for auto shows, corporate sites, and for finding those niche cars that you really, really, really need to find. Hell, and even while there take a look over at the end of the year ratings that we do for all of our vehicles and see who wins every year you'd be surprised now this week we're taking a look at the slow demise of the aftermarket industry yes it is slowly fading from memory and the rise of the electric car is even adding to its demise yes companies like tesla rivian faraday future they're all adding to the slow demise of the aftermarket industry now the aftermarket industry came about in the 50s hot coming back souping up their cars after world war ii the slow mild effect of babies being born during the war were starting to get into the 1950s the explosion of commercialization and the move to the suburbs these young children wanted something more fun and more different than what their parents had owned so they started chopping up extending out adding wheels and more and more horsepower to classic cars now everybody knows you can go back and take a 1940s ford roadster and make one of the most killer hot rods around in the 1950s drop the frame down add a before beef up your engine add some horsepower and give it a kick-ass paint job and there you go you got a mild hot rod that's going to take out anyone you can become king of the streets this slowly led to the effect and demand of the aftermarket industry we're talking mag wheels polished ported and chromed out intake manifolds exhausts any part you can think of people started getting into companies like edelbrock started seeing that they can make money at this you're getting into mag wheels radial tires are starting to come around so you're starting to get into more performance grade tires tread patterns everything there's an explosion of the aftermarket industry and the 50s started it you can go back and watch movies like Grease, and they kind of showcase what it was like for hot rod manufacturers back then people with these weird killer ideas you know adding fenders and wings and flares and polycarbonate hoods apparently anything to make their car different than everyone else's but today there's a different story upon us and that is the slow and mild death to this industry now there are a few countries out there that all right ban aftermarket products for instance china china has anti-aftermarket laws you go over the south china sea and you find japan who has the biggest aftermarket industry in the world the people there modify everything how people who take motorcycles to the track to go racing modify their vans that they take their bikes to the van and, and then they go racing with their van they go across the sea to over to china and a company like brabus can't even sell their version of the mercedes in china it is against the law it has to be factory backed and factory manufactured to be sold in that country and being that china has become the largest automotive market in the world car companies can't just say no to that so a lot of car companies are looking at it as hey we can do it yeah you won't allow an aftermarket industry you know amazing aftermarket customization shops and 
parts suppliers can't get into this marketplace. So like I said, a company like Edelbrock can't get in there unless their parts are put on the cars when they're on the assembly line before they leave. It's not good for the industry. Now, take for instance, my home province of Ontario. In a few years back, they came out with the anti-street racing law, all thanks to an accident that actually happened just outside of my hometown, where a police officer's son was hit and killed by two moronic street racers who decided to do it in the middle of a suburban area. They decided to street race through a suburban area next to an arena that every Friday night and Saturday night had dances and teen events. And these two kids killed street racing in the province. They now have mandated that anything over 50 kilometers an hour is roadside suspension, they pull your car, and you can face upwards of $10,000 in fines. Yes, it curbs it. But like I said, then you go over to Japan where middle of the night in Tokyo, any major extended freeway between midnight and 5 a.m., there's no speed limits. They managed to reduce their street racing on surface streets massively by allowing this, by taking into the fact that big freeways like that have a lot less traffic in the middle of the night. So people can street race. They knew that they'd have a problem with it. And thanks to the gentleman's rule of not being able to allow over 240 horsepower in their vehicles from the production line, aftermarket industry has exploded and you can have more powerful cars than the police cars that are chasing you. They had to do something when they created these laws. Come back to my province in Ontario. We're allowed the SRT8 Dodge Charger Interceptor vehicles. We're allowed a Ford Explorer with a five liter Mustang engine to go whipping down the highway and chase you down. There are very few people that have the ability to outrun police in North America, especially in Ontario. And when you consider the fact that the only areas of Ontario that have big four lane highways that are dead in the middle of the night are away from the areas that a lot of people have and want to street race in. So it makes it even harder. But like I said, these two kids killed a cop's son. And that cop pushed through and made sure the street racing would be dissolved. Sad, but it also killed a major industry. And like I said, with the electric car industry kind of coming out, it is slowly bringing it down even more. That's why I'm more into uh, fuel cell vehicles. I love electric vehicles, but I find fuel cell is more of the full shift from fossil fuels over to a renewable resource only because a fuel cell vehicle can be enhanced performance products. So you could still have those great muscle cars. With an electric car like a Tesla, all I gotta do, beef up the suspension, give it some stickier tires, and a more powerful battery. That's not much. We're going back to the 90s in the days of the Walmart car. In North America, as we call it, the Honda Civic is the epitome of Walmart car. You can buy anything you want, essentially from Walmart, to soup them up. And that's what electric cars are. They are the Walmart cars of now. They are a car that you can go to any place, buy your parts, and bam, you're a little bit better than everyone else. But really, when a stock model can still outperform any internal combustion engine out there, well, why do you have to do any aftermarket modifications? So it is slowly killing it away. And then you add into the fact there are more children these days, between the age of 16 and 25, the prime real estate for selling aftermarket parts who are not getting into the industry, who are waiting until their late 20s to even get their license. And now you're missing an entire market, an entire generation from entering the aftermarket industry. So this new cultural gap is now happening. And the aftermarket industry is slowly diminishing. And then again, you have new rules in place. The state of California is now trying to pass laws to make it illegal for you to do even any remote modification or repairs to your vehicles. You can do them in your driveway, but if your buddy does it for you and you give him some money, he can now legally be charged. So they're now trying to make it to these backyard mechanics, hot rod performance tuners. Everyone can get nailed and not have to do it. So there's even less people getting into it. Like I said, my home province, when they got over the 50 over law, I knew so many people that traded in their RSX, Skylines, 240s, 300s, Civics, any type of sports car, and they all went out and got 
a truck. Yeah, now there's a major boom in aftermarket in industry products for off-road vehicles, but there's a lot less for cars, which means movies like Fast and the Furious don't make sense. Where that movie pioneered the aftermarket industry for the import scene across the world. Now if you do that, it just seems cliche. It has no meaning in the world today because hell, how many kids these days don't even drive stick? And that is one of the biggest points of the aftermarket industry failing these days is the fact that most kids don't know how to drive a standard. And not being able to drive stick even makes it harder and having less products than our stick shift and then a lot less sports coupes, a lot less coupes. Like it's all, it's all just snowballing out of control and before too long, we're all going to be driving refrigerators that the only performance model is a slight wheel and aero enhancement from the factory. What would all our forefathers from the hot rodding seeds of the 1950s and the explosion of the muscle car era of the late 60s and 70s think? Hell, even in the into the 80s, the aftermarket industry was still alive with brand new products like ground effects, fiberglass workings, body kits, side sills, fiberglass rear toppers. Like It just took off once again. But take a look at some of the images attached to the podcast on our website, www.autolooks.net. You'll see some of the aftermarket industry products from the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, and then now you start looking at the 2010s. Everything's sedans. Sure, you can make a wagon look good. You can make a sedan look good. They were kind of cool to see products like that back in the 90s or in the early 2000s, but now that's all you see. Now, it's a major thing to see a sports coupe like the Subaru BRZ and Toyota GT86 were amazing products that were trying to grab people's attention to bring them back into the aftermarket industry. They were saying, here's a small, tiny little car that needs tons of power. Please tune me. But with a generation less and less inclined to being automotive owners, there's less and less new products out there for us. So essentially, an entire generation is slowly killing the aftermarket industry on top of the governments that are trying to ban parts out. SEMA is one of the biggest supporters of the aftermarket industry, and they're one of the biggest supporters of being able to build your own racing car. There are many states in the U.S. and across the world that are trying to ban standard people from building a race car in their garage. They're trying to keep me from building my own drift car and bring it to the track on weekends. They're trying to make it so that I have to go out and spend tons of money, buy it right from Kia or Hyundai or Honda or Toyota or whoever I'm buying it from. I have to now go to them to buy a pre-manufactured racing car. And then I have to pay a proper mechanic at a big shop and all that to do all the work for me as well. I get it. It's safer when it's somebody who knows what they're doing, a licensed mechanic. But you have to remember, Steve Celine built stuff in a garage. Carol Shelby started out in a garage. John Hanassi in a warehouse. They all started out doing things for themselves. They learned. They built cars to race against people. They built cars to go into the streets and find friends and go and race them. Then they started going to the tracks. Then they started winning. And people took notice of the products they were creating. And they wanted to buy them. So these people built companies. And these companies employed people. They created manufacturing jobs. They created installation jobs. They created engineering jobs. Drafting jobs. Sales jobs. And they just start going around the world. Now you got traveling people. An exhibit. This is an industry. The governments. And a generation is slowly killing off. I get it. The automotive industry is having a major shift now. Moving from an ownership based system. To a rental system. Companies like Uber and Lyft. We're going to be spearheading the movement of autonomous taxis into the future for us. And then you get companies like Lincoln Company who are developing the subscription cars, which we've actually seen rise and fall recently, but it's still there. And how a market is shifting away from ownership. They're now treating cars like cell phones. When the new one comes out, they just want the old one to go away. Because of that, an entire industry is slowly diminishing. And with
with those industries, you got to think about it. Like Shelby, how many things did they build? How many things did they engineer and create that have gone on to become mainstays in racing cars even today? Everybody thinks, oh, they're just some backyard mechanic building this supercar to go up against some kid on the street and do something illegal. No, not everybody is out to do that. Some people are out there to build show cars too, to win contests for stereos, for looks, for hydro. Yes, hydraulics, jumping contests, lowrider, lowrider. I just got the word not too long ago that I've been subscribed to Motor Trend Magazine since 1997. So 23 years I have been subscribed to Motor Trend Magazine. That is only one of three magazines that managed to stay alive in print form where Lowrider was cut loose. Mopar Muscle was cut loose. These are magazines that are gone. I get it, you can see it online, but it's not to the same effect. Lowrider Magazine slowly diminishing. The Lowrider culture is slowly diminishing. And, like You can't lose that. Lowriders are just as much a part of the aftermarket industry as import tuners, as muscle cars, as custom vans, and off-road trucks. They're all interconnected. And unless we start creating a new niche to push the aftermarket industry into the next fold, we're all going to be stuck driving boxy-looking toasters from the Kia Soul commercials. And that's not an industry. That is not a future I look forward to seeing. Personalization is about expressing yourself. The aftermarket industry is about expressing yourself. You think it, it, I don't turn heads when I go driving down the street in my Rio? I get it. It's not the coolest car in the world, okay? A Civic Si or a Nissan 240SX would look way better rolling down the street, but everybody's seen them. I had an uncle with the Skyhawk, okay? Not the Monza, the Buick Skyhawk. When he went driving on the road, like, he would turn heads because it's odd, it's different. Rio I have is lowered, full suspension redone, front sway bar links, stick tires, like, it is made for cornering. It is made to grip the road. It's my personalization because I don't want to go around a corner at 20 kilometers an hour. It's a personalization effect, and I don't want to drive something that looks normal. My replacement for my Mazda CX-9, my Kia Brego, is personalized already. I have aftermarket, full grip, all-terrain, all-weather tires on it with aftermarket rims. It doesn't look like any other vehicle. I get it. The Brego is like a unicorn. They're, they're so rare, but mine is even rarer just because of the way it looks. And when I'm done smoking the rear lights on it, tinting the side windows, and getting a light bar for it with a performance exhaust, it'll be one of, one of the only ones out there. It is the personalization effect of myself. The aftermarket industry is essentially, if you want to explain it to kids that don't get it and people that don't understand it, it's like getting personally making your own cover for your cell phone. Not going out and buying one. Like you go out and you buy some carbon fiber and you buy some tin, and you buy a standard otter box and you cut and make your own look and feel to it. It is yours. It is personalization. It is an expression of yourself. That's what the aftermarket industry is. From an off-road truck to a lowrider, they're all an expression of ourselves. And unfortunately, the demise, thanks to governments getting in, thanks to a generation that's not interested, is slowly diminishing, and we're all becoming a follow-the-leader society. Doesn't look good. And when you think about it, think about how many thousands of jobs will disappear. Let's put it in perspective. If out of every 10 automotive jobs there are out there, two of them have to deal directly with the aftermarket industry. And it's like, yeah, we still employ 10 million people. You take out the aftermarket industry, that's 2 million people on the street. Electric is going to change it. The aftermarket industry may change. What does the future hold for the aftermarket industry? It's kind of grim. It's kind of bleak. But at the same time, there is a slight silver lining to this. With all electric cars, batteries need to be upgraded more often than changing your engine. The internal combustion engine, the beauty of that is it can last for as well as you take care of it. There are cars in existence that are well over 150 years old that still have original parts on them that operate. Hell, I have a 70 Mustang whose engine, yes, was rebuilt, but it was port and polished. It's not all brand new.
new. The block is still original. So that essentially that engine is still original from 1970. Meanwhile, if I own a Tesla and I put a million miles on it, I'm going to go through between three to five battery packs. There's a new avenue for the aftermarket industry. It's not about performance now. It's about replacement parts. The aftermarket industry is going to have to start adapting to the changes of the environment around it. Like every other market out there, they're going to have to start looking at us. We can't enhance these damn things. What can we build to replace on these things? Companies like Tian will still have a market out there because there's still suspension parts. Enkeep will still have a market for wheels. Dunlop will still have a market for tires. Veilside will still have a market for body. But really, what is the point of a body kit if your car is just as fast as the guy next to you? I say that out of, out of being a performance guy, but I know people out there that they'll slap a body kit on anything just because they want it to look cool. So those are industries. But like I said, there'll be new avenues. As we've noticed back in the late 90s, the computer was a changing and evolving thing that also entered the automotive industry where people started hooking up their laptops and getting better air to fuel ratios. They started improving their mixtures, started improving their timing just through programming of their CPU. There's another thing that could be changing. Interiors. Doesn't mean it's more like we're going to be making a change in the aftermarket industry away from performance products and more into aftermarket accessories. You know, undercar lighting, body kits, seats, full interiors. I can't say stereo systems anymore. Speakers will still be needed, but full CD players. My block point, my real, is out of date now because it's a CD player with a remote. There's no MP3 attachment, so it's out of date. Things like that are slowly going to diminish. But then again, how do we get kids into this? Maybe what we need is not for the automotive companies to start selling us more and more aftermarket variations and saying, you know, here's 30 different variations of the Mustang. Let's have a GT, California, Hertz Rental, Shelby GT350, 500. Uh, we'll have a Bullet one. We'll have the Mach 5. We'll have Boss. You know, have a million different variations of it. Special editions. We know special editions sell like hotcakes, but that could be the reason why. It's because nobody wants to get into the aftermarket industry thanks to all these new regulations, thanks to a limited supply of product. All in all, the aftermarket industry is slowly going to have to take a step back, look at itself and say, how can we move forward? How can we still keep people in? Who are we going to have to go after? We're going to have to go after Uber and Lyft to try and get them to express themselves more with their vehicles that go and pick up people rather than going after the kids who actually still own vehicles. And when car ownership starts dying out, who then can we go after? Who then can we fight with? What we can say is that the only part of the aftermarket industry that today that seems to be changing is the cross-track conversions, turning sports cars into off-road vehicles. But like I originally said, everyone's after people racing on the streets now, so more people are turning to the dirt roads and backcountry where the police still have hard time trying to access us. Because let's just say a Durango and a Ford Explorer aren't going to be chasing you up the side of a mountain on rocks compared to you having a Jeep. So all in all, you got to look at it as, is it truly a demise to the aftermarket industry or are we just gotten too stagnated with it that it is now time for change? This is Ever from Autolux.net. Taking a look back at the rise, the fall, and what is next from the aftermarket industry and to really see how governments and a generation that is lost on the aftermarket industry are slowly changing and shaping the aftermarket industry of the future. So from all of us at Autolux.net, keep following our Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Podbean, iTunes, Pinterest, and over at www.autolux.net for all your corporate needs for the automotive industry. I'm Edward Jay saying strap yourself in for this one fun wild ride as the aftermarket industry gets rebuilt from the ground up for 2020.